0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. Grain Ecosystem is a venture-backed business spun out of Schneider Electric for the purpose of generating a high-quality carbon offset supply. The firm aims to support project developers in sequestering as much carbon as possible, which means bringing together the funding and stakeholders needed to drive projects forward with a focus on biochar. Today, I'm excited to have Jason Dodier, co-founder of Grain Ecosystem, and Brando Crespi, co-founder at Global Biochar, join me to discuss the crucial role that financing plays in scaling up carbon projects and the attention that biochar has gained as a potential carbon removal technology. But first, I want to say a few words about our sponsor. If you're tuning into this podcast, you already understand the crucial role finance plays in the transition to a sustainable future. With the right individuals leading the way in top companies, sustainability becomes more than just a buzzword. That's why we're excited to have Acre as our sponsor. As a world-leading sustainability search and recruitment company, Acre enables organizations to create real change by embedding and developing purpose driven people in their teams. Visit the Acre website to learn more about their latest opportunities, or to get in touch with building your perfect team. Hello, Jason and Brando, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast.
1: Thank you, Paul. Good to see you, Paul.
0: Yes, we're very glad to be doing this program today because there's a lot of people that want to learn more about biochar, as it turns out, out there. So, first of all, can you explain the concept of carbon dioxide removal and its significance in achieving global climate goals?
1: Well, Paul, I'll I'll kick it off and then I'll hand it to Brando because I'm sure he's going to be able to go a little bit deeper on some of the elements here. But I want to say, in terms of being purpose-driven, you know our lives are a message to the world and what we're trying to do is being inspir- you know, drive inspiration. And if you remember my Wall Street Green Summit presentation, we looked at estimates from the IPCC that reported between five to 16 gigatons per year of carbon dioxide removal would be needed to address the emissions concerns that we see in front of us today. At a high level, carbon dioxide removal is really referring to the process of actively removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and storing it for long periods of time. So it's a critical component obviously to achieving global climate goals because it certainly helps reduce concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere and thereby mitigates the effects of climate change. And when you think about the different types, you've got nature-based solutions, peatlands, mangroves, red plus projects, uh, afforestation, reforestation, revegetation, anything to do with soil carbon sequestration, certainly biochar. Uh, which Brando's gonna go a little bit more in detail is at, uh, at the forefront of that. And then addition, you've got technological type solutions. So these are direct air capture solutions, which we hope uh, today they're roughly 500 to 600 per ton of a credit cost is what we're seeing. Uh, Climeworks certainly is one of the leading figureheads and companies with their project Orca in Iceland that's out there. Uh, and then you also have carbon capture and storage. This is a process you take a relatively pure stream of carbon dioxide from industrial sources separate separate it treat it and transport it to a long term storage location. The last thing I'm just going to say is one of the reasons myself and Grainer extremely bullish on carbon removals is the concept of, of true circular economy. This is really all when you have waste from consumption that becomes an input into new production. So we need to think about it from resource use to waste management and taking a careful approach to the use of these uh, physical materials that limits the, limit those waste inputs. And think about it from a perspective of reducing harmful chemicals and fertilizers like glyphosphates that are leveraged to kill weeds. And we have these, essentially these products, corn, wheat, et cetera, that are out there that are, uh, you can't destroy them by leveraging the glyphosphates and leveraging biochar, you can essentially improve sequestration, reduce the amount of chemicals, and improve the overall capabilities. I mean, the first law of ecology is everything is linked to everything else. Very, very paramount that we think about that when we look at circular economy, we look at carbon removal projects, and trying to avoid the concept of tragedy of the commons, where we're waiting for prices to fall down the cost curve and not taking direct accountability uh, for removal of these critical you know, pathogens and other elements. So that's my initial take on Uh, removals. And certainly, I'm sure Brando's got some stuff to touch on with a deeper lens on biochar.
0: Yeah, Brando, before you begin, uh, we just recorded last week some programs on nature-based solutions. And uh, biochar seems to be uh, one of the things that everyone is talking about from that perspective these days. Uh, Can you enlighten us a little bit more?
2: Uh, Absolutely, Paul. And um, thank you, Jason, for giving us that high-level picture um, about carbon sequestration, I mean, as as I think we all know, we need to decarbonize our economy, we need to be, decarbonize our atmosphere. And when you talk biochar, what you're actually talking about is carbon, because biochar is, depending on the quality of it, 80 to 90% carbon. And, and uh, biochar... <laughs> is the result of putting biomass through a technology called pyrolysis. So biomass means any kind of residue uh, from forestry or agriculture. And it's really important that biochar um, is really dealing with residues. You don't want to create a forest to turn that into biochar. Um, rice husk sold uh, bagat from sugarcane. Um, there is a wide amount of, uh, of biomass, which is considered waste in the world, and we can turn that into uh, something as close to pure carbon as possible. Uh, I will only add that in nature, there is no waste. Everything is circular, and biochar is a perfect. Um, to create um, circular systems. Uh, Like in New Mexico, we are taking sawdust from the clearings of the forest, which were affected by last year's fire, and turning that sawdust into biochar, which then goes to feed um, the seedlings and nurseries and then allows for trees to grow 30, 50 a hundred, two hundred percent in some cases faster.
0: Okay, so now, Jason, how does Grain's approach to carbon dioxide removal differ from other technologies or methods in the voluntary carbon markets?
1: Well, I'll leave that question with a couple of things, and I'll and I'll dig into some of the intricacies of what we do. At the forefront of our business, all is transparency. So. At the forefront, we're we're building a community that allows hard questions and honest conversations that allow for transformation to develop and grow and fortify amongst the various project developers that are in the global community, such as the work Brando and Global BioChart doing. The, The second piece is there's no alternative. The digital transformation's upon us. And visionary companies are gonna carve out new strategic options for themselves and for us, Digital transformation is going to begin and end with a customer-first mentality. So you hear in press and on social platforms about automation, uh, data analytics, technology, softwares, new business models. These are all enablers, not not necessarily drivers. So at the center of it, as you said at the beginning of the call, uh, when you're introducing your sponsors, leadership and culture. And and today, if you look at the U.S. GDP, 80% of our GDP is the service sector. And automation is gonna make sure this trend continues to thrive. So at Grain, when we approach carbon dioxide removals, we look at it through the lens of transparency and a digital first method. And we do this through an online tool that really streamlines and automates the project development process for for project developers. And the tool allows developers to check their eligibility. Um, So what methodology is most viable for their potential project to be engaging in carbon markets? We do a quantification of the greenhouse gas emissions for those projects, so understanding what that footprint is, and truly determining that there is a net sequestration amount versus some projects we've done and we've looked at, they actually end up producing more carbon than removing carbon based on the footprint and what it takes to bring the resources through pre-conversion and post-conversion to the end-use application. And then the other piece is assessing profitability, and we do this through some key questions that help us derive revenues, expenses. We look at the net present values, the IRRs, the multiple uninvested capital. These are all the things that help to determine economic viability of a project that many, many groups globally, when we were incubated, we realized this was a missing piece. They rely on a lot of fragmented information and documentation and struggle to have those conversations with the different stakeholders that we're going to go more in depth in discussing on the podcast is the sources of capital. The second piece that Grain does is serve as a platform that connects project developers to OEM, so the technologies that Brando was just talking about, paralysis, gasification, torfaction, depending on the type of feedstock and other critical elements, certainly the investors, and then the offtake and potentially the supply side at the front of the feedstock. Because there's one thing we continue to hear at the conferences and the dialogues is the feedstock is capital. It's really critical to these projects. So Furthermore, if we take all those pieces together and we focus on the quantification and the assessment, we then give these insights that enable project developers, Paul, to move forward with a high level of competence to, to understand really what they've got and, and also make sure that if there's not something there, if a project is ineligible, they know about it early before they waste critical human capital and other resources going down a potential rabbit hole that may not lead to the desired outcome. So... That's a little bit of the grain-first approach and how we differentiate ourselves in the market today.
0: Great. Brando, can you explain the the mechanism of biochar and its role that it can play as part of a carbon project development?
2: Yes, Paul, with pleasure, because um, you started off by saying that biochar is a potential carbon sequestration technology or technique. In reality, it's a well-proven one. And it's well-proven because it's been used for thousands of years. And we see today that, for instance, Amerindians in the Amazon turned what is counterintuitively a very unfertile soil into something which allowed for the creation of actual cities in the Amazon because the soil became so fertile that it allowed for urban concentrations and there were cities of fifty thousand people throughout the amazon before we arrived why is that because the merindians um, realized that if they that the areas where there was some charcoal left over from fires became very fertile in some cases up to 900 percent more fertile so what what had happened, um, they ground the charcoal, put it into the ground, mix it with household waste, and the next thing you know, you have this burst of life emerging. And the reason for that is that um, char, char, uh, biochar has a kind of sponge-like texture. Um, so water goes in it. And with the water, microorganisms and other little critters that stimulate the life of the soil. And actually, what they actually do is create soil. Um, That means that when you put biochar in the ground, you have a number of uh, benefits, like you reduce water, sometimes up to 40, 50 percent you increase mycorrhizae, the whole fungal system of the soil, right? Right. And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It has, there's a a, a very long list of co-benefits that biochar generates when it's used in agriculture and forestry. And it's a very straightforward way of sequestering carbon. Biochar is carbon. You put it in the ground. You can't take it out, it's a powder, uh, so it's it's practically impossible to cheat. And this is why today biochar-based carbon credits are amongst the most desired and the most prized uh, on the voluntary carbon market.
0: Great, you know, I, I really appreciate your uh, your mention of the fungal components of all of this because I know that they I, uh, I have some some family members who are really engaged in learning about fungal life uh, all over the planet. I guess that's the best way that I can say it, but it certainly seems like it's a, a critical component of this type of uh, circular economy development. Uh, So thanks for those thoughts, and let's now start focusing on the funding mechanisms and the grants and the loans that are available, Jason, for project developers, and and how effective are they in driving adoption of these processes and these technologies?
1: And Paul, that's one of the reasons why we're so excited to be on the Sustainable Finance Podcast, because we're hoping that community uh, is listening. Uh, There's huge value in this dialogue. If you remember from our brief conversation last time, you know, I was at the forefront of energy as a service and financing renewable projects in this country and got to work on uh, some interesting public-private partnerships and other infrastructure projects internationally when I lived overseas. Uh, A couple of things to slice up here because we're going to look at private and public and and I'll give some of my perspective. Uh, We all know the gap is trillions of dollars. Uh, There's traditional debt structures that exist to finance projects that are looking to this marketplace. Certainly, all senior debt by banks, junior tranches, uh, traditional equity, which, which is referred to as skin in the game, uh, capital market solutions via bond. When ba- Basel 3 was put in place, it made it harder for long-term lending via banks, hence why institutional money is very valuable. And it's critical institutional investors are listening to this podcast and hearing some of the things that Brando is saying about the viability of biochar, because we all know pricing should be commensurate with risk. But what we desperately need in the carbon removal space right now, Paul, is more what I'd say, bridge to bond structures. And from there, you can have different takeouts of those bonds and, uh, you know, or institutional tranche takeouts, et cetera, to move these projects forward. Before I go into the public sector piece, one of the things we've seen emerge is kind of the streaming model. And really that's, this comes back to the value of the credits and the terms of additionality to doing these projects. And the way it works is, you'll get upfront capital to help drive a project forward and you know, do PDDs, project design documentation, upfront feed studies, engineering type work, putting a letter of intent and, and procuring some of the equipment you need. In return, uh, that entity gets uh, to maintain a percentage of revenues from the, the sale of the offset. So there's a lot of value as Brando was saying in the carbon credits and being active in carbon markets. Now, if I transition to the public sector, the core goal of the IRA was to drive up private investment into low and zero carbon investments and then drive down deployment costs. So we know there's significant private capital needed. Uh, we all know the IRA has about $369 billion in incentives for spending on clean energy. But what does that mean for carbon removals? Uh, additionally too, Jinger Shaw and the DOE loan program, they've got roughly $400 billion of loan capacity. So the removal marketplace needs to figure out how do we tap that money uh, in a way that's flexible, to be customized, and it's sped up. For us, when we look at the public money that's, that's involved here, it's about understanding all the right metric of success to do this. Because public policy, while it's designed to provide incentives for private investment, the concerns are that the financial model projections don't necessarily capture the constraints of private capital at scale. So we need to understand how do you capture and accelerate momentum to build these flywheels? And like I said at the beginning, and I'll keep going back to this, and this is why like Frontier Fund and NextGen are so important because they help us prevent really the, the fall in the tragedy of the commons and, and making sure prices get right size. Right now, the two biggest flywheels in the market are renewables and EVs. Because experience curves, as Brando will tell you with his experience in biochar, drive flywheels. And you get this experience in an industry that drives down costs. So my belief systems that the IRA is going to accrue to the U.S. in the short term. And in the long term, it's going to be beneficial to the entirety of the planet because it's going to drive activities down the experience curve that will benefit the rest of the world. And I'll just highlight a couple of mechanisms or things that the listener base Uh, that may be curious about government grants and private investments and other things might look to see uh, and take advantage of. The USDA has the Natural Resources Conservation Service. This is roughly $20 billion over five years for climate smart agriculture. And really take a look at codes 336 and 808. This unlocks the opportunity to go after some of the major incentives and dollars that are available. The the Environmental Quality Incentive Program, uh, the Conservation Stewardship Program, and the agricultural conservation easement program all come to mind when I think about that. And additionally, if, if folks that are listening are doing carbon capture or utilization and storage, checking out how to take advantage of 45Q credits uh, and, and deriving value from that can help build scale. So those are some of my initial thoughts and perspectives. Obviously, 45Q is heavy for domestic CCUS projects, and IRA is going to expand a pool of federal income tax credits there. Uh, I'm sure we're going to go deeper into these methods, but that's some of the high level Paul that I want to share with the audience today on uh, some of the, the structures to accelerate carbon removal projects.
0: Okay, yes. Well, we have just a few minutes left in today's program. And Brando, I wanted to come back to you and focus on the integrity and transparency of carbon offset projects. Well, that's one of the big questions, it seems, in the marketplace today, both public and private. So, how do companies like Grain, in your experience, ensure the credibility and accountability of its carbon projects?
2: Well, I don't think that's grain's main objective is to uh grain is uh, playing a, a, an incredibly strategic role which is helping people like me mm. who are entrepreneurs but equally we're impact entrepreneurs if you want so we're very interested in in the um social and environmental impacts sometimes uh we need people with the skills that grain can you know, represent mm-hmm. to make these projects financially viable. We are in a very um, interesting situation right now because um, last December, uh, The Guardian and some other newspapers started criticizing a company called Vera, which is, I think, the largest trader, one of the largest traders, Uh, in the world of carbon credits for the quality of uh, their Red Plus um, credits. Now, we don't need to go into, you know, the weeds around that. And uh, the bottom line is that the main market for carbon credits um, became questionable. Um, And this has been... um, a problem uh, in this marketplace for a long time, since Kyoto, actually. Um, so that um, those doubts, uh, which I think then were manipulated by interests that want to uh, kind of delegitimize this whole strategy, all of those concerns are not applicable to biochar. Biochar is carbon, you put it in the ground, it stays in the ground for thousands and not millions of years. It has all, all kinds of co-benefits, which eventually will be quantified and, and become part of, the, <clears throat> of a larger credit than simply biochar. And um and today, so what you're seeing today is a company like Microsoft, JP Morgan, Spotify, um, on and on, Chanel are buying um biochar-based credits. And um very often because that they come with a social and environmental story because of their impact on ESGs, and that is part of the attraction, um, but also because, um, in a way, um, you de-risk those purchases of carbon credits by choosing biochar.
0: Great. okay. so Jason, back to you for one minute here. How can policymakers and governments support the growth of voluntary carbon markets and encourage greater investment in carbon removal technologies?
1: Absolutely. And I'll say also to Brando's point, ICROA standards and ISO 14,000, we follow those. Those are critical accreditation programs that are uh, both public and private sectors are looking at. But I'll say this, just to close out, power is going to triple over the next decade from a demand side perspective. Uh, This is an era of inevitability. So think about this statistic. The government is responsible for 60 percent of cement in the U.S., So we have to leverage government purchasing power to accelerate this transition. It's as simple as that. Uh, They've got to put in place and continue to put, with our help, clear and enabling policy frameworks to provide support. And I'll just say in Washington, as we all know, we don't use sticks, we use carrots. So the federal government needs to work with the states that then may be willing to condition markets for what the federal government's gonna do to ensure productions, the the products, the production services land in an ecosystem where they don't become stranded assets, very important. And I would just encourage the audience, check out cdrlaunchpad.org, check out the DOE liftoff reports. The government is doing a lot of really interesting things. And I'm very proud to say that we wanna see all countries supporting at least one CDR project by 2025. So creating an era of inevitability, using the purchasing power and bringing more transparency to all the tools we have at our disposal. That's what we're trying to do at Grain and that's what we're doing in partnership with global biochar globally. So hopefully those are some of the highlights that the audience can take away and and dig further into as they look to their own projects and opportunities going forward uh, in the market, because diversity is the engine of growth. That's great. And if I may just add something, we
2: can add today 40% um, biochar to cement and improve the quality of that cement, make it more water resistant and decarbonize cement, which is one of the largest polluting sectors of the economy. We can do similar things with plastics, and uh, I'm just kind of riffing off what Jason is saying, but the potential of a carbon material in the bioeconomy is enormous, including very high-tech uses like Biographene and similar products okay well
0: we'll come back
2: for another uh, runway
0: yeah we'll come back for another uh episode to expand on these stories and and the developments uh in your industry but first for right now jason and brando where online can our listeners go to find out more about grain ecosystem and global biochar And how can they get in touch with you regarding the topics that we've discussed in today's Sustainable Finance podcast episode?
1: Back to the whole point on transparency, can reach out directly, Jason, at grainecosystem.com and certainly grainecosystem.com, our website and our YouTube channel uh, has a lot of the great content and points we discussed during the the presentation and welcome people reaching out. Brando? And it's brando at globalbiochar.co.
2: We've, um, you know, in terms of our web presence, we've chosen to be kind of um, go stealth like, but we're about to uh, announce uh, a lot of exciting. So, in the next few days, I think our website is active and um, happy to answer any questions.
0: Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thanks again to both of you, Jason Dodier and Brando Crespi, and for our listeners. If you're ready to take your team to the next level, or if you're an experienced sustainability professional, visit the Acre website to get in touch. With the right individuals leading the way in your company, sustainability becomes more than a buzzword. Let Acre enable real change by embedding and developing purpose-driven people in your teams. And to our followers, join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis and this is the Sustainable Finance
1: Podcast.